great story. You can have a seat. Man, a powerful, powerful story, and I'm sure resonating with uh, each of us in a different way today. It's so uh, great to see everybody here today. It's great to uh, connect with everybody in Knoxville. It's great to have everybody connecting online today. I'm sure some folks are traveling and, and uh, watching from wherever uh, you are today. We're in a series called Road to Redemption. And uh, we're going through the life of Moses. And uh, so uh, I'm excited about today's journey. If you've got a Bible, let's go to Exodus chapter 14. We'll be there in just uh, a moment. Next Sunday is Father's Day. Who's excited? Yeah. Nobody's excited about Father's Day. It's our lot in life, guys. We just got to deal with it. But... I am going to bring a great message next Sunday, Lord willing. Uh, it's entitled, The Best Father's Day Advice Ever, okay? So you're not going to want to miss that. We're still in the series. Moses is going to get some great advice from his father-in-law. So invite some friends next Sunday. It's going to be a great, great, uh, great day. Um, how many of you have ever felt like you were stuck in some type of, of issue or problem in life, and it felt like, uh, there was no way out. Anybody ever felt that? I mean, you, you, you've kind of got uh, some extremes uh, that, that are in that spectrum, I'm sure. But, you know, when I, uh, I love to ride four-wheelers, and so, because I'm a redneck, and I, I love to just get on the trail and just fly down in the middle of nowhere in the mountains, you know, and, and um, I love just being able to, you know, ride up the hill and almost die and, and uh, just, just have fun. And, and one, one day, my, one of my good friends, um, he had bought two brand new uh, four-wheelers, and he invited me to go. So we went up to Windrock, and uh, I mean, these things were beautiful. You know, it's like no mud on the tires yet, and it was just one of those things where it was hard to get them in the dirt. They were so pretty, but we did, and he wanted to to, to, to help him break him in that maiden run, you know. And so we go up there, we hit the trail, and I'm telling you, it, it wasn't five minutes down the road that, that we came across this puddle. And I did the girly thing, <laughs> and, and I went around the puddle. Um, Matt, I guess, is just more manly than I am, and he decided just to go for it and to go right into it. The only problem was it wasn't a puddle. It was a four-foot hole, <laughs> And so he hit that thing and came flying off. And I mean, that thing just got stuck. I mean, it was just like thunk right in the mud. And this brand new machine is now like underwater, stuck in the mud. And it took us forever to get that thing out until, you know, we, I finally just curled 500-pound machine out of the hole. And he was amazed. And that, that's a different story. But anyway, I think a lot of times life is like that, you know. At the most inopportune time, uh, we can kind of feel like we are stuck. You know, you never kind of see these things happening that what may look like a small issue or, you know, a little puddle turns out, you know, ruining your day or ruining, you know, 12 months of your life or even, even longer uh, turns into something bigger than what we had expected. And so I think in so many ways, we, we go through this in life. And so today's message is entitled Stuck with no way out. I know some of you are probably feeling stuck. And, and so my illustration is kind of a first world problem, kind of silly, right? You know, not that big of a deal. But, but I've gone through other things and, and, and experienced other things in my life where 
there were some, some huge, huge, huge issues, and, and I, I was stuck, and I was crying out to God, and it didn't look like there was any way out. And so I'm just hoping and trusting and praying that God is, is going to show up and, 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 and provide some way out for me. And I'm sure some of you have, have gone through uh, a similar story of, of, of what Tracy and Drew went through. Maybe it was cancer that you felt stuck and that there was no way out. Maybe you feel stuck in your marriage because it just seems like you're continually dealing with the same problems and you're not growing. Maybe you're, you're single and you feel stuck like you can't find someone that you, that you can connect with. Maybe you feel stuck at work because things just aren't working out. Or maybe it's just life in general, spiritually. And you're just like, I, I, I want to experience more, but I just feel, for whatever reason, stuck and there doesn't seem to be a way forward or a way out. So where do you turn? Where do you, where do you go when you feel stuck for answers? How do, you, how do you get unstuck and where do you turn? That's the hard question. Some of you, if you're a man, you're probably just pushing through, right? Nose to the grindstone kind of mentality. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to work. I'm just going to go for it. I'm just gonna stay busy and put my head down and shut up and endure it. Some of you might turn to alcohol or drugs because when you're, when you're stuck and you're stressed, you want that de-stressor. And so we turn to things that numb our, our minds and, and take our attention off of issues. Some of you turn to anxiety as if that's gonna help anything. And so you just obsess over problems and obsess over the what ifs. And so you're working yourself up every uh, day over the issue. And I hope that many of you turn to God, that you would turn to him and that you would find respite in your relationship with him. And that's exactly what Moses does in our text today. In Exodus 14, God's people are literally stuck. They are stuck between the Red Sea, the, the, the desert, and the coming army of Pharaoh. They are literally stuck with no way out. They were not ready for battle. They were not ready for a fight. They, 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 they were, were not capable of arming themselves and fighting in that moment. So either a lot of Israelites are gonna die, they're all gonna go back, or they're all gonna go back into bondage and slavery, or God is gonna intervene. And really, that's the question you're asking today. Is God gonna intervene? Some of you might be asking the question, is God even real? I'm waiting. I'm, I'm, I'm open. And, and, and I'm leaning in, but, but is, is, is God actually gonna make a way for me? Will he light up the path? In Exodus 14 today, we're gonna get some answers and some help. And so let's start in verse one together. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahirath between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephron. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. They're trapped, they're stuck. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They did what God wanted them to do. A few comments here. First of all, 
it says again that we've seen this in the story that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Um, is this, is this always kind of brings up the question, is God forcing Pharaoh to do this? Because it says he hardens his heart. The Hebrew word for harden means to strengthen. So God is literally strengthening Pharaoh's heart, meaning that he allows Pharaoh to do exactly what Pharaoh's heart wants to do. In other words, it's ensuring that he has the free will to do exactly what Pharaoh wants to do in this situation, which is to pursue and try to take the Israelites captive yet again. And so Pharaoh is freely choosing to do this. And so God tells the people to go back and camp between the sea and the desert. And that puts the people really in a very vulnerable situation. I mean, they are literally stuck with nowhere to go. And so what's gonna happen here? At least it seems like there's no way out. And you know, sometimes I think God answers our prayers in some very unusual ways. We're, we're, we're asking God, you know, the Israelites are asking God to actually, you know, free them from slavery and from bondage. And so this is the journey. And now all of a sudden, they're put almost between a rock and a hard place. It doesn't look like they're gonna actually get free. They thought they were finally free. And here again, Pharaoh's army is coming after them. Uh, I, I promise you, uh, asking God in prayer to split the Red Sea uh, was not on the small group prayer list. Like they weren't camping by the sea thinking, well, God, we're gonna camp by the sea, but we're really counting on you to part the water tomorrow morning so that we can walk across on dry land. They're not thinking that. They're, 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 there's nowhere in their mind. They had no clue what was about to happen and they're scared to death. But watch this. They were simply following the next step that God revealed to them. Go camp by the sea. I don't understand that. That doesn't look like a good idea. That's not a good military position. I don't wanna camp, I wanna run. But they followed and they did the very next thing that God was asking them to do. Even though it led them to a bad spot, they were stuck with nowhere to go. Pharaoh sees this bad positioning and so he pursues and he sends his army to attack. Verse four tells us how God is gonna use this situation. Look at it again. It says, I will get the glory. God says, I will get the glory and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the great I am. You see, God is passionate about his glory. And it is good and it is right for God to desire the glory. And I know a lot of people read uh, texts like that and think that sounds a little bit arrogant for God to say, I want the glory. But when you think about it, it makes total logical sense because if, if the result of the saving is Moses in his work, then we would praise and worship Moses today. We'd have statues of Moses and we've been, we'd be bowing down to him. If, if the people of Israel get the glory, then we'd be worshiping the Israelites today. And of course, no man, no person, no woman is worthy of praise and glory. Only God is worthy of the praise and all of our glory. And so because he is worthy of all glory, then it makes sense for him to want to desire that his people 
Give him that glory that only he deserves. Because when we delight in him, when we worship him, when we give the one true God all of our worship and glory, we are satisfied, right? We honor him and he fills us with life. And so obviously it makes sense then for God to say, y'all need to give me glory because that's the only way you're gonna find joy and happiness and meaning because I'm the only God. So it makes perfect sense for us to worship God, to give him glory. And it makes perfect sense for God to say, I am gonna show my glory because he desires that we have that relationship with him. Obviously something more was needed. After all the plagues, after everything that has happened, more was needed to, to actually bring judgment upon the Egyptian people. And so God wasn't finished. And so God wanted to ensure that they would never have to worry about the Egyptians or Pharaoh ever again. In verses five through nine, Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh scouts out the land. Uh, his scouts come back and tell him, hey, here's where they're at. And he's like, okay, it's a great time, let's go. And so he sends out the army. Let's go to verse 10 now and see what happens next. Now, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? <laughs> That's a sarcastic statement. <laughs> it's basically saying, why did you bring us out here to die? We could have just died back in Egypt. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? I told you so. You ever said that to your spouse? I told you so. They love it when you say that. Leave us alone. We told you to leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. Notice the word serve there. They weren't serving. They were slaves. They were in bondage. It would be better for us to be in bondage to the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. <laughs> I love it. What a great passage. Verse 10 says that they were fearful. Obviously, you've been afraid. You know what fear feels like. Oftentimes, uh, when fear is activated in our life, it leads to a lack of faith and a lot of complaining. That's essentially what they did. A lack of faith and a lot of complaining. Complaining to God, complaining to Moses. Why did you bring us out here? Moses, we're gonna die thanks to you in verse 11. Verse 12, it would have been better for us to be back in Egypt in bondage. And so they're afraid of Pharaoh's army at this point, and they have forgotten already, already, just the days, they've forgotten about bondage and what that felt like. They forgot about the plagues and how God was working these miraculous signs in their life. They forgot about the death angel that passed over them. They had forgotten all that God had done in their past thus far, and all they could focus on in that moment was the army. All they could focus on was the enemy. All they could focus on, listen to me, was the problem. 
Reminds me of Matthew 14 when Jesus is walking on water and Peter gets excited and he says, Jesus, let me come out to you. And Jesus is like, all right, come on. And he jumps out of the boat. He, he himself walks on water. But then the scripture says when he looks at the wind, he became afraid. Fear set in. And then, and, and then the waves over, overtook him and he began to sink and he cried out to Jesus. I think, I think it's a simple lesson, isn't it? Oftentimes when we take our eyes off of the spirit and we put it on the problem, when we take our eyes off of God, when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we focus on the problem, the enemy, the circumstances, that's when we begin to sink in life. And the Israelites are experiencing this. They're, they're no match for this army chasing them. There's no way out. They can't fight. They can't ex escape. So it seems like all hope is actually lost in this moment. But in verse 13, highlight it, underline it, write it on a piece of paper, write it in your journal, make it a piece of artwork in your house. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, for he will work for you. And you will never see this army again. It's going to be a, a, a total victory. You're going to overcome totally today. You're not going to have to worry about it any longer. Verse 14, the Lord is the one that's going to fight for you. You just need to be silent. Just be silent. That's a tough one for us, isn't it? Just be silent. Let's go through this. He says, fear not. Fear not. Faith is not the absence of fear. You know that. Faith isn't the absence of fear. Faith is standing confidently in the presence of fear, trusting that God is gonna intervene, trusting that God is gonna show up and God is gonna provide a way. And so faith is standing and waiting for him to deliver you. That's what faith is. It doesn't mean you're not afraid. It means you're standing in the face of that fear faithfully. He says, be silent. Here's our strategy when problems in life happen, when we feel stuck, complain, and be afraid. Sounds like a good strategy. I'm gonna to complain to my spouse every day about how they are not a very good spouse. Does that ever work for you? Is it getting any better? I'm gonna to complain to my boss every day about what a, what a bad boss he is. And I bet that'll fix the issue. <laughs> Doesn't work, does it? But we use that strategy with God. Problem, issue, complain, complain, complain live in fear, Moses says, be silent. Here's a word for some of you today. Resist the temptation to complain about your problems. Resist the temptation to complain to God. Resist the temptation to complain to your spouse and your best friend. Resist that temptation because complaining never helped any relationship get better. Complaining never helped you get the promotion at work. Complaining never grows your faith in the Lord. Complaining is a terrible strategy. Instead, have faith and be silent. Well, I just need to vent, I just need to vent. I've read the Bible from cover to cover and venting is not a biblical virtue. In fact, the Bible usually calls it gossip and we know gossip is a sin. So if you're, if you're gossiping and complaining about such and such and such and such, Jesus says, go talk to that person and resolve it. And so maybe the strategy for some of you is just to sh shut up. 
Just shut up. Be silent before the Lord. And then he says, God is fighting for you. God's fighting for you. This is a hard one for us, especially if you're a type A personality, because you are the fighter. You're going to bust down the doors. You're going to fix it, right? But here God says, I'm fighting for you on your behalf. You can't get this done. You can't part the Red Sea. You can't work this out on your own effort. It's not going to happen. Only God can do this. So he's the one fighting for you. And so that's where we have to, like, like, Put the brakes on and be silent and say, okay, I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to fix this. I cannot fix cancer. I cannot fix this health issue. I cannot fix this relationship issue. God, it belongs to you. And I believe, God, that you are going to fight for me, that you are fighting on my behalf. And so no matter what battle you are facing today, no matter how you have felt stuck in the past, no matter how much you feel stuck today, this is God's word for your heart. Fear not, be silent, God is fighting for you. Fear not, be silent, God is fighting for you. Do you believe that today? Let's say it together, ready? Fear not, be silent, God is fighting for you. One more time, come on Knoxville. Fear not, be silent, God is fighting for you. You see, that's the truth. God is fighting on your behalf today. We believe that. We believe that in our heart. We sing about it. We know he is working things. The battle is not for me to fight. It is not for you to fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so maybe you're trying to kick down doors that God actually wants shut. Maybe you're afraid of something that is never gonna happen in the first place. Maybe you're complaining about things so much that you cannot hear the voice of God trying to speak into your life. Maybe you're trying to outwork God. Maybe you believe that your work is superior to God's work, that your work is more effective than God's work. God says, fear not, be silent. I'm fighting on your behalf. It's me that's gonna do this, not you. You have to trust me. Verses 15 to 18, they're crying out. We read they're crying out to God. Look at it in, in, in your Bibles. God says, stop crying. Stop crying to me. There's no crying in baseball. <laughs> There's no crying in the Exodus. Stop crying. Lift up your staff and split the water. <laughs> Let's keep reading verse 19. He says, I'm going to get the glory here. Verse 19, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. They had this pillar, this cloud that was protecting them. Fire by night to give them light, right? And so the pillar of cloud moved before them and stood behind them. And it, was, it had come between um, the Egyptians and the Israelites. So it was, it was forcing the, the Egyptians to slow their, their charge against them, right? And again, this is a, a God that controls nature, we say, oh, what, what is that about? Well, we're not quite sure what that is about, but we've seen uh, nature and we've seen how nature prevents us from going to work. And uh, sometimes when we experience floods or rains or we've seen tornadoes and we've seen the damage of all of these things that, 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 that nature can produce. And so some way there's some type of, of cloud formation that's actually preventing the, the army from marching any further, giving them some time 
It lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind. And so some type of wind, some type of natural phenomenon here of wind comes through all night long that divides the water at this moment and creates even a dry land for them to actually walk on. And so the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right and on to their left. The Egyptians pursued. So they're following through, right? They're, they're on the land as well. Went after them into the midst of the sea. All of Pharaoh's horses, all of the chariots, all the horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. And so there, there was some type of, of panic that takes place uh, amongst the army. Uh, and, and there was some clogging of the chariot wheels. And so obviously the, the water has made a mud of some type here that's starting to clog up the wheels. And so it was harder for them to pursue uh, the Israelites and the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Amazing, amazing uh, story. I mean, how can you imagine this? Can you imagine the miracles. The, the water is pulled back to be a wall on both sides of them, right? The, uh, some people struggle. Like, did this really happen? And emphatically, we, we believe, yes, this is the word of God. What it speaks is true. So we can't, we, we can't really scientifically explain how God, you know, um, creates a tornado and how God creates hurricanes and, 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 and what's at the center of the earth exactly and, and uh, how, how far does the universe stretch. There are so many scientific theories and questions that are unprovable and yet when we read things like this, we hear so many skeptics, you know, oh, we can't believe that. But we can believe evolution. We can, we can believe that out of nothing, matter just existed. Um, we can believe out of nothing that DNA just, you know, eventually created itself. <laughs> it's, it's really unbelievable that people can believe something like that and then have a problem with phenomenons like, like that we see in nature, which we see all the time, by the way, that we can't explain. So yes, we believe this is the truth. The Egyptians pursue, panic sets in, the wheels of the chariots clog up. And once the people had all crossed, Moses stretched out his hands again, the water falls upon the Egyptian army and they all perish. And the Israelites are completely delivered from the Egyptians, and now they are free, no doubt about it. They don't have to worry about the Egyptian army or Pharaoh for, for, for anymore, forever, right? God didn't leave any room for the Egyptians to be a future problem. This was it. How can we apply this to our life today? How can we take what, what this story shares us and apply it to our, our, our life today? I mean. If I pray and I believe, will God part Teleco Lake this afternoon to get me to my favorite fishing spot faster? God's not gonna necessarily part 
the, the Red Sea or Teleco Lake for us. But, but how, do we, how, do we, how do we apply this? Well, I wanna apply it with four questions. And so anytime you feel stuck with no way out, here are four questions for you to consider and to think about. And if you're going through something today, I hope it encourages you. The first question is this, are you stuck in sin? Are you stuck in sin? If I feel like I'm stuck and I can't get anywhere in life, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I'm stuck. Am I stuck in sin? And by this, I mean this. Do you have a relationship with God? If, if you've never committed your life to Christ, if, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of Jesus in your life, if you don't have a relationship with God, then I can emphatically say the Bible says that you are stuck in your sin because you were born with sin. None of us are perfect. And so we all experience this sin nature and Jesus is the only way to resolve this sin problem. See, Jesus is the only way for us to experience forgiveness, for us to experience freedom from sin. See, Moses is leading the people to salvation, but he's just a picture. He's just an image of, of, of a better Moses, right? And his name is Jesus, the one to come, the Messiah, the Son of God. God in human flesh comes and, and he dies on a cross, paying for our sin, allowing us to be forgiven. Just because he died doesn't mean you're forgiven. Has the blood of Jesus and his death been applied to you? You say, how does that happen? It's applied to you when you admit to God that you are a sinner and you put your faith in the death burial and resurrection of Jesus to resolve that brokenness. Sin breaks things. It broke your relationship with God. It breaks everything in your life. But when we put our faith in Jesus, when we receive him into our life, we make him our Lord and Savior. God forgives us of our sin, gives us the spirit of God. We are committing our life to Jesus, which means we are following him from that point on. We go from death to, to life in that moment. Have you done that? That's the good news. If you're stuck, it might just be because you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus. And so this is a personal relationship, right? This is a personal relationship with Jesus and it starts by confessing your sin and believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says you'll be saved. That's the only way to overcome this. If you feel stuck today, Maybe it's because you need to give your life to Jesus. I hope you will. Second question you need to ask is, do you live a works-based life? If you feel stuck today, maybe feel like you're not growing and feel like, I don't know, like something at work or my marriage or whatever it is, emotionally, are you living a, a works-based life? What do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, Moses told, God told Moses that it was the Lord that would work and save them. It wasn't gonna be Moses' work. It wasn't gonna be the Israelites' work. It was gonna be God's work. And so that's why when, when he says fear not we're, not, we're not saying, okay, I don't have to be afraid. I can trust in myself. I'm strong. No, we fear not. We stand firm because we're gonna watch God save us. We're gonna watch and understand that salvation comes from the Lord, not our own work. Right, so are you right with God? Are, are, are you gonna be in heaven when you die? Those are great questions to ask. If your answer is, well, I'm trying, 
then you're living a works-based life. If I, if I say to you, what's it take for a person to go to heaven? And your response is something to the effect of, well, I'm trying to live a good life and you know, I wanna go to church and wanna raise my kids right. That is, that is evidence that you don't understand the gospel. It's evidence that you're living a works-based lifestyle, trying to get right with God by doing certain things. So you're either justified in Jesus or you stand condemned. You're either adopted into the family of God or you are not. You either stand dead in your sin or you are freed by the blood of Jesus. Salvation is not about what you do for God. It's not about what what you can accomplish on your own. It's about what Jesus has done for you. And so he saves you by his grace through faith in him, not your work. And we've got to accept that salvation is not based on work or how righteous you're trying to be. Every other religion is a works-based religion, right? Go to mass and get right with God. Confess to a priest and then you'll be right with God. Pray five times a day and then you might get right with God. All of it is based on the work that you do. But following Jesus means that you recognize that you can do nothing to deserve or earn salvation. You can do nothing that impresses God. You can do nothing that would impress God that that would lead him to say, yeah, he's a pretty good guy. I think we'll let him in. I'll adopt him. There's nothing you can do. It is completely his grace, unearned, undeserved. When you feel stuck, maybe Maybe it's because you're just trying to work for it and you got to step back and realize that he's done the work. I believe and trust that what he did is good enough. Now, evidence of my my faith and following Jesus is that I'm going to start to do some things that are a result of that faith that I have. It's not like I, I get... I get saved and then I go live however I want to live and, and uh, you know, I, I'm still going to heaven. No, when we genuinely give our life to Jesus, we're going to be changed and there's going to be evidence, but there's nothing I can do to work for that salvation. So that's a, a good second question. Here's the third question. Did you wander back into bondage? Do you feel stuck today? Maybe you've wandered back into sin. You've wandered back into the bondage of sin. You see, this is essentially what the Israelites wanted to do, right? They saw the army coming. They were ready to go back to Egypt. They literally said that. They literally said it'd be better for us to be back in Egypt. They wanted to go back into bondage. Hey, Christian, listen to me. Are you stuck today because you went back to Egypt? You're living a life of sin You've gone back to some old sinful behaviors. You thought you had overcome or you thought you had laid down, but for whatever reasons, you've picked them back up. In Christ, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. The penalty of sin is forgiven, right? Paul said in Romans 8, 1, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. But some of you have traveled back to Egypt. You've traveled back to a life of sin. You've wandered back into your old ways of living. And it won't be long either before 
God disciplines you or you come to your senses and you do the right thing today and repent and turn from that sin. Maybe today is just for you. Maybe this moment is just for you to hear this. This is God's way of telling you it's time for change. The Bible says in Romans 6, 1, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. So maybe if you feel stuck today, it's because you've wandered back into sin and so you need to confess that sin. You need to turn from that sin. Maybe it's a lifestyle of sin and that you continually you know, just kind of get caught up in and you're gonna need counseling or you're gonna need a mentor. We're here to help you. Go to the care and prayer room and say, I need a mentor. I need somebody to help pray over me and help me get to the next um, uh, free step in my life. And so if we feel stuck today, maybe it's because we've returned to a lifestyle of sin. Or number four, and finally, is it simply the fact that you need to take the next step? Do you need to take the next step that God has called you to do and is leading you to do and you're just rejecting? You're saying, no. You're saying, I'm not ready or I'm not good enough or whatever the excuse is. And because of the excuse, it's preventing you from taking the next step. But listen to this, they don't see the miracle at the Red Sea if they don't camp in the right spot. Go back to verse two. Look at it and circle that in your Bible to remind you later one day that God told them to go camp by the sea. Go camp by the sea. Now, if, if the army is coming and we're locked in by the desert and the mountains and the sea, that's not a good spot to be in, God. That's a very scary position, God. But remember, God is the one that wants them in that position. Why? So that he can get the glory and so that we can experience the miracle and so that we can know that he is God, that he is God. Maybe you're not camping in the right spot. Maybe you haven't taken the step that God wants you to take. You're praying for deliverance, but you aren't camping where God wants you to camp. You're praying for a miracle, but you don't wanna go to the place where the miracle is actually going to happen. Listen, you'll never see God work if you don't go where God wants to work. Think about that. God wants you to go camp at the sea so that he can do a miracle in your life. It's gonna be scary perhaps. You're gonna complain and cry out to him. And, but if you're going where God wants you to go, you're gonna see God work. That doesn't mean he's gonna heal every disease. It doesn't mean that he's gonna part every Red Sea in your life. In fact, let's go back to Tracy and Drew's story for a minute in the video. What wasn't in the video is that while Drew was facing this diagnosis and cancer treatment, his dad passed away and he was so sick that he couldn't be with his family during that time. During this season, right? Um, today actually is the anniversary of, of Tracy's father's death who also had his own battle with cancer. 
You see, in the midst of the miracle that was taking place in their life, they were also experiencing devastation. And so I want you to see that, that, that God's work will occur when, when we are in the place where he wants to work. And if that is cancer, if that is loss, if that is pain, then we say as God's creation, I will go. I will walk through the fire with you, God. I will believe that your purpose is bigger than what I can understand today. This is not about me. This is about your glory. This is about your purpose. And I will walk where you tell me to walk. What Tracy will tell you if you talk to her is that this season that Drew went through made him a more passionate follower of God. And it changed their life. It changed their marriage. As painful as it was, as difficult as it was, God used it to grow them. And now they're helping other people who deal with similar issues grow and have faith as they experience it. And this is our journey. This is our journey. This is the life that we live in a world that is broken by sin. Until Jesus comes home, this is our journey. And we will see God work and we will see his faithfulness as we trust him and as we walk with him. Uh, next week, Tracy and Drew celebrate their 30th wedding anniversary. And if you were to ask them five years ago, they probably would have told you they weren't sure that this was actually gonna happen. But God did it. God is doing it in their life. And I will tell you, he will do it in your life as well. The next chapter, after God allows them to get free, walk through the, the, the Red Sea on dry land, the Egyptian army destroyed, now here they are, finally free. And what do they do? They write a song and they sing it to God. They sing it to him in the next chapter, chapter 15. And so I'm gonna close today and wanna ask you to sing a song of praise to God, whether you're in a season where you feel stuck or whether you can look back in your life today and you can see the hand of God save and work and, and do miracles in your life. And we remember that and we praise him for those miracles. And when we're in the middle of it, we praise him because we know he is going to work it out because he is a God that is good. He is the God of our salvation. He is fighting for you. Let's pray. Father, no matter what we experience in life, no matter what those listening have experienced or are going through today, God, I pray that they would see your goodness and your grace I pray, Lord, that those who need to make a decision to follow you today would do so. I pray they would commit their life to you. I pray for those in the room who have walked back to Egypt and gone back to bondage. I pray, God, that you would convict them of sin today. I pray that in this moment they would confess it. I pray, God, that you would move them to repentance. And for all of us, Lord, help us to have faith, to know that we don't have to fear, that we can stand firm because you are fighting for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. 
Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.